you know, I think within Dalit communities, you know, Dr. Ambedkar's, you know, marches for desegregation, which is what the Mahat Satyagraha is, um, were such important moments of our fights towards dignity. And really, because it's also at this core issue of the in, the inhumanity of caste apartheid. And so for people that are non-Indian that are listening to this podcast, you know, what Dr. Ambedkar was doing was he mobilized thousands of his supporters to strategically target this one city where they had like a strong inter intercaste and interfaith alliance to to basically try to desegregate um, the water tanks. And, you know, at that time, you know, all of the village used this one central water tank and Dalits, very crucially, were not allowed to use that water tank. There was a separate, very kind of dirty well just for Dalits that wasn't very well maintained. And that's what Dalits were supposed to drink to. And when you think about the right to, to, to clean air, the right to water, the right to land, the right to eat and sleep with dignity. All of these things were what caste apartheid robbed Dalits of. And so, you know, Dr. Ambedkar, you know, you know, after this like big, you know, summit of people who were um, fighting for caste abolition, mobilized thousands of people. And he very critically took water from this water tank. And then so did all of his followers. And it feels like such a profound and simple act. But could you imagine being in a village and living your whole life and seeing a vast amount of water that everyone else can drink except for you? How painful that is, how, how heartbreaking it is. And, and I think this is actually one of the viciousness of um, the vicious aspects of caste apartheid is that the lines of caste apartheid are not big brick walls or electric fences or, you know, coiled chain link fence. It's sometimes the distance of just like your bed to your door. It's like very, very small. But that small distance is the distance between violence, murder, and rape because the the, the violence, if you cross that line as someone who's cast depressed, can mean endless violence and structural oppression. That was Tenmuri Saundara Rajan speaking about the Mahat Satyagraha. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Tenmuri Saundara Rajan, and I am executive director of Equality Labs. We are a Dalit civil rights organization that works on the rights of caste depressed people um, in the diaspora and across the world. And, you know, a lot of the reasons why, you know, I came to co-found Equality Labs with my other Dalit feminist co-founders was because we saw a gap in terms of how uh, caste was occurring in, you know, countries outside of South Asia, and that there was just not enough research and discourse about the way caste had become global, and also um, a platform for caste-oppressed people to be able to speak our rights and fight for our claim to dignity. And Equality Labs really became that political home for many um, caste-oppressed people around the world. And this is part of the reasons why we fight is really because um, we want to end caste apartheid in our lifetime. Tenmuri Saundara Rajan is a guest on this episode of the Nagrik Podcast on the Mahat Satyagraha. This was a landmark event in the history of human rights struggles and in particular for the struggles of India's oppressed castes for civic rights. When the story of this Satyagraha is narrated, 
It often begins with the resolution moved by Sitaram Keshav Bole in the Bombay Legislative Council in 1923. S.K. Bole belonged to the Chandrasenia Kayastha Prabhus or CKP caste and was among several non-Dalit activists who were influenced by the ideas of Mahatma Jyotiba Phule and later B.R. Ambedkar. The resolution that he proposed would allow Dalits to access all public water facilities in the province of Bombay. This was passed. To help us understand the colonial state's mediation of conflicting claims, we can listen to the voice of Ramesh Kamble, a professor of sociology at Mumbai University. But before that, we will listen to the voice of Rohit Day, a historian of South Asia and the author of A People's Constitution, Law and Everyday Life in the Indian Republic. Here is Rohit Day, to be followed by Ramesh Kamble. One of the, there's a couple of things to, to, to remember. So one is that traditionally tanks um, were maintained out of um, certain kinds of community funds. But in uh, the Bombay presidency, from the late 19th century, we see a series of reforms creating municipal govern, government. And one of the uh, sort of responsibilities of municipal government was uh, certain kinds of water supplies. So uh, the emergence of municipal government creates a space for political action. Um, so to the extent that I remember, there is a resolution that's passed uh, by a kind of upper caste reformer. Um, and, and it's sort of being, it's being passed across different state assemblies in the early, early 1920s, asking for the opening of all kinds of communal uh, water supplies to and the term they use is depressed classes. Uh, in 26, 926, the Bombay Legislative Council also says that municipalities that do not grant access to public amenities suffer uh, a loss of government funds. Um, and this is also a time when, um, you know, there's, um, I mean, the, the post-1919, there's some degree of responsibilities being shifted to the provinces. There's a kind of emergence of uh, public politics. There's extension of franchise. It's still a very small number, but we have some form of electoral politics taking place. See, this also speaks about the very complex nature of modernity. Okay, on the one hand, I mean, we are claiming uh, uh, claiming rights in the modernist context, where we, we talk about equality, freedom and equality as necessary marker, uh, necessary markers that would constitute fraternity. Meaning, meaning the, the idea of fraternity is possible only when there is recognition of freedom and equality. Okay. Now, so, so from that context, we are, yes, I mean, from that context, we are, uh, uh, we, we are, we are also claiming your rights, your, your rights you are claiming from this kind of modernist context. That was the voice of Ramesh Kamble. You're listening to the Nagrik podcast. I am Ajut John. And on this podcast, we learn together to become better at participating in public life. Nagrik podcasts are available on nearly all podcasting platforms, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. They are a part of Nagrik Open Civic Learning, a project to reduce inequality in access to knowledge about the law, public institutions, and civic and political participation. Right now, on www.nagriklearning.com, you can learn for free about advancing the rights of workers in supply chains from videos and other open educational materials prepared with support from Oxfam.
at least in its immediate context the mahat satyagraha was about dalits the former untouchables of india making a claim to the water in the chaudar tank of mahat let us return to ramesh kamle and rohit de as they help us understand the broader context in which dalit people are making claims to public resources uh, the 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 context becomes possible because of a particular kind of colonial administration which in a way sees uh, it is in that context that the claims to rights becomes meaningful okay now so 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 is i mean you are you you are uh, you if you, you are addressing these claims only in that change context as opposed to the traditional social uh, social arrangement and structure your claims become meaningful only in this kind of a modern framework of claims and rights okay but at the same time that modern framework is also contextualized in a specific context where these these claims are negotiated on part of both in fact i mean those who are claiming these claims and those who seem to be facilitating these claims both are contextualized in a framework where the complex negotiations are taking place i mean this is very much a a, a kind of uh 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 so the the colonial state comes in and creates sort of notions of the public and uh both sort of upper caste reform groups but also dalit groups um try to sort of engage in the public and and argue on the grounds of civic rights so it's not just uh, water tanks but access to temples access to schools uh, emerge as sort of contentious uh, uh, sites where uh, uh people from various groups are demanding uh, equal access um and there's a con- sort of um move away from um uh, a kind of uh, older argument that gandhi is making for temple entry uh, which is sort of cast in some kind of right uh, to access to religion uh, to a kind of argument that's grounded uh, in 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 more um uh, more of a framework of just civic rights which is not tied necessarily to religion but to participation uh, in a public place the seeds for the mahat satyagraha also fell on very fertile ground The region of coastal Maharashtra and the Raigad district in particular already had a history of anti-caste ideas. Anupama Rao is a historian and the author of The Caste Question, published in 2009 by the University of California Press. She will help us get a sense of the role of anti-caste thought in the making of claims to access public resources. well i think we should we should probably start a little bit uh, start by framing the broader context which is the ways in which um groups that had been you know excluded in many ways from from uh public access in a, in a very broad sense right so how is it that the question of caste based publics is developed and what kinds of challenges are being made and we're of course speaking about maharashtra which has a very specific history so i think we should root it in the region and think a little bit about the longer term challenges to both the kind of ideology of caste hierarchy that's emerging across certainly the 19th and the 20th centuries uh starting with the satyashodak samaj a kind of modern set of challenges to caste exclusion caste based exclusion which is to say uh an argument that emerges from a conception broadly of uh 
radical humanitarian thinking, a challenge that uh, in, in a very fundamental sense challenges the existential, the ideological, the social, the political, and the economic power of, of Brahmanism, um, which is, which is the, the main target of the critique in, in Western India. And how something like the Mahard struggle, which is, you know, inaugural certainly, but also has to be contextualized, you know, in, in, in a kind of broader framework of challenges comes about, right? So broadly speaking, I think, you know, we should just kind of sort of keep in mind that uh, prior to the Ambedkar movement and the Mahard struggle, which becomes a kind of, you know, moment of, of a spectacular rights claim, uh, but this is standing, you know, sort of standing behind it is a much longer term set of challenges to access to what we might call a kind of public sphere of uh, speech, of performance and, and of kind of ideological challenge. So the public that's emerging, the anti-caste publics that are emerging uh, in the 19th and the 20th centuries are fundamentally challenging uh, the right to rethink caste hierarchy, religious superstition, and to put in place instead a broader, more inclusive notion of, uh, of uh, equality and really to launch a radical challenge to the caste order in total, right? So this is an ideological theme, but it's also happening, of course, through um, a very, very concerted and extraordinary set of uh, ideological challenges and intellectual projects that are taking shape across the 19th and the 20th centuries. So the kind of public that we want to start thinking about is uh, a public of, of uh, writing, a public of performance, a public of speech making. So all of this is part of, a, you know, I suppose you could call it a kind of virtual public that's being shaped and reshaped. But that's really what is animating the public protests, the staging of public assembly, public protest, a kind of politics of presence, if you will, that is also accompanying this ideological challenge that's taking shape across the 19th and the 20th centuries. So in Maharashtra, you know, before Ambedkar, we really do need to think about the Satyashodak Samaj and the Satyashodak uh, um, Samaj's interventions in reshaping this caste public, okay? And, and so you do end up having, in that sense, a kind of repertoire of challenge. The, the challenge, as I said, is through speech, song, sound, performance. But the challenge is also about practice. Right? It's about the, the takeover, if you will, of public space and a, a, a way of making the presence of those who are considered to be repugnant, so to speak, right? Um, those who are stigmatized to actually make their presence in public an absolutely essential part of the project of remaking and rethinking caste hierarchy. So I think the Mahad uh, struggle is sort of contextualized in this in this kind of broader space where there's a repertoire of, of political activism that's emerged across the 19th century. Right? 
and and uh, I I think it's it's in this context that we wanted to start thinking about the kind of uh, uh, arguments about public access that are beginning to be made, and the colonial state begins to play a quite important role in this, and the colonial state plays a, a quite paradoxical role as well. On the one hand, uh, colonial public works and new spaces of association, new institutional locales, uh, schooling, for instance, uh, the context of labor and uh, new forms and uh, new domains of labor become important sites where claims begin to be made for what you call you know, public access and public resources. So even before you start thinking about Mahad, which is a response, it's actually a test case. And in many ways, it's conceived as that uh, in the longer term history of, uh, you know, a concerted effort uh, on the part of anti-caste activists to push the colonial government to recognize, in some sense, the rights and the claims of lower castes and Dalits, right? So this is happening through petitioning. This is happening through the actual takeover of public space. And it begins to also happen through a very creative mobilization, it seems to me, of the law. And, and so Mahat becomes quite central in that context. It's certainly not the only case, as you know. Uh, if you've uh, spoken with others who've talked to you about somebody like Arbi More, who uh, is, is a kind of extraordinary uh, and underexplored and reasonably unknown um, activist. This is somebody who works uh, along with Ambedkar but moves to the Communist Party and takes membership in the Communist Party by 1930. Arbi More and many others in the area of the Ratnagiri district in the Konkan, quite close to Bombay, which becomes the kind of growing hub of Ambedkarite activism. This region has seen and has a very long history of this kind of civil rights uh, activism, if you will, right? Uh, I mean, there are definitely... Um... Uh, litigation around uh, challenging ideas of custom become a fairly commonplace matter across communities uh, 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 in India. In some ways, the colonial legal system is built to mediate between different kinds of communities. Um, what it allows the judiciary to do is present the judiciary itself as a kind of neutral arbiter between different communities and also place these communities at a notionally equal footing, though that is that is not the case, right? So even in terms of producing evidence of practice or producing evidence of sort of funding and ownership, it privileges some communities over others. But the belief is that it's a kind of level playing ground. The third thing that's coming up is in 1929, uh, the Simon Commission is going to come to the country, which is going to sort of review the working of the Government of India Act. Um, simultaneously, um, the Congress Party and many other political parties who are affronted by the absence of Indians on the Simon Commission set up the Nehru report to sort of draft a kind of early Indian motion of the constitution, which also means that for the first time, Dalit um, uh, political participation is going to be taken really seriously. And Ambedkar uh, in particular, but also other Dalit uh, backward caste leaders like MC Raja from the Madras presidency, the Justice Party leaders, make um, become sort of powerful figures uh, who are deposing before the Simon Commission of the British government in extensive ways, pointing to the need for greater Dalit enfranchisement, but also extension of civic rights. Uh, but it's also suddenly that the other political parties are now made aware of the fact that you have to engage, um, you have to sort of bring the Dalit groups on board onto, onto their organizational platforms. Uh, so they're, they, they, they're also 
start being consulted um, by the Nehru, Nehru, Report, uh, Nehru Report Committee. Uh, I think it's striking that Ambedkar actually takes the Simon Commission very seriously and his um, uh, kind of um, affidavits and, and correspondence with the Franchise Commission are, are really powerful ones that play a role later on um, as the roundtable conferences and other things uh, take, take shape. One of the key personalities through whom we can approach the Mahat Satyagraha is that of R.B. More, one of its main organizers. By the time of his death in 1972, R.B. Mori had become one of the most respected leaders of the Communist Party of India Marxist. On this episode of the Nagrik Podcast, we will learn about the early life of R.B. Mori through his grandson Subodh Mori, a Mumbai-based activist. As Mori speaks in Hindi, you can also listen to the edited English translation that has been voiced by my friend, the anthropologist Jagat Sohail. मेरे ग्रैंडफादर का नाम कॉमरेड रामचंद्र बाबाजी मोरे कॉमरेड आर बी मोरे नाम से वो ज़्यादा करके नोन थे मशहूर थे उनका जो पैदाइश हुआ है वो महाराष्ट्र के अंदर रायगढ़ डिस्ट्रिक्ट है उस डिस्ट्रिक्ट के अंदर महाड़ जो तहसील है उसके नज़दीक एक छोटा सा विलेज था उसका नाम था लाडवली तो वहाँ वो पैदा हुए थे और बचपन वो वहीं ये हुआ और उसके नज़दीक ही महाड़ के पाँच किलोमीटर नज़दीक एक गांव है जिसका नाम है दासगांव तो उस दासगांव में ही उनकी जो दासगांव की एक छोटी सी हिस्ट्री ऐसी है वो मैं मुझे लगता है कि वो आपके लिए बताना बहुत ज़रूरी है दासगांव ये उस पीरियड का छोटा सा एक पोर्ट था जहाँ छोटी जो मछुआ करते हैं लॉन्चेस वगैरह रखी थी और ब्रिटिशों ने उस पीरियड के अंदर दासगांव के अंदर एक उनके लिए बंगले के अंदर किया गया था और मिलिट्री उस वक्त जो मिलिट्री मैन रहते थे वो उस वक्त शिप से वर आते थे और वहाँ उतर कर फिर आजू बाजू की जो तहसील है लाइक दापोली जो डॉक्टर अंबेडकर का ये रहा विलेज रहा तहसील तो दापोली और महाड़ की तरफ वो सब सोल्जर्स जाते थे तो इसके लिए वहाँ एक ये बनाया गया था और उसकी हिस्ट्री ऐसी रही कि उस गांव के अंदर भारत के अंदर के अंदर की पहली जो वन स्टोरेड बिल्डिंग ये दलितों की अस्पृश्य ने बनाई हुई वो दासगांव के अंदर बनाएगी जो अरबी मोरे के जो मैटरनली मामा थे अंकल कहते तो उन्होंने वो बनाई थी और वो उस वक्त पढ़े लिखे थे और ज्योतिष वगैरह देखना वहाँ ब्रिटिशों ने पहली बार अछूत लोग 
बिल्ड बाय आर बी मोरेज मटर और वहीं आरबी मोरे की भी पढ़ाई उसी वक्त शुरू हुई उनका एक्चुअली जनवरी एक जनवरी तीन सॉरी तीन जनवरी 1903 में उनका ये हुआ है पैदा हुए थे और दासगांव के अंदर ही उनकी प्राइमरी एजुकेशन जो है वो दासगांव में हुई और दासगांव में होने के बाद में उन्होंने हम कहते हैं कि जब उनको उस वक्त स्कॉलरशिप की फिफ्थ की जो एग्ज़ाम भरती थी वो स्कॉलरशिप की एग्ज़ाम भरती थी तो वो एग्ज़ाम उन्होंने पास की थी और उसको पास करने के लिए भी उनको बहुत ही दिक्कतें का सामना करना पड़ा और पास करने के बाद में महाड़ जो पाँच किलोमीटर फ्रॉम दादगाव से नज़दीक जो ये था तहसील था तो वहाँ हाई स्कूल था आर बी मोरी वॉज बॉर्न ऑन जनवरी थर्ड एटीन There was an exam in the fifth standard to receive a scholarship, and after facing many difficulties, he passed that exam. At the age of ten or eleven, he was denied admission at a school for the upper caste in the Mahar Tehsil. His lifelong struggle against untouchability started then. Anantrao Chitre, a man who supported him much later during the Mahar Satyagraha, who belonged to the Chandrasena Kayas Prab or CKP community, which was a higher caste but lower to the Brahmins on the caste hierarchy, helped him at that time. जो CKP community के थे, so Kayas के थे, ये CKP community है non-Brahm, यानी Brahm, higher caste की community है, मगर lower to Brahman community से छोटे नीचे के स्तर पे तो उन्होंने उनको उस वक्त हेल्प किया ही इनकरेज्ड हिम टू सेंड अ पिटीशन टू द कलेक्टर एंड टू पब्लिश इट इन न्यूज़पेपर्स द ब्रिटिश कलेक्टर रोड टू द स्कूल सेइंग दैट इफ ही वाज नॉट एडमिटेड देन द स्कूल रजिस्ट्रेशन वुड बी कैंसिल्ड वैसे उन्होंने कलेक्टर को भेजा कलेक्टर को भेजने के बाद ब्रिटिश कलेक्टर ने फिर स्कूल को लेटर भेजा कि अगर तुमने इनको ये नहीं किया गया तो तुम्हारे स्कूल का ये किया एंड देन ही वाज एडमिटेड और फिर उनको स्टार्टेड देयर तो यहां से उनकी शुरुआत हुई So as I said, the colonial state is in this paradoxical position of, on the one hand, acknowledging uh, public access, the rights to public access, whether it's you know schools or hotels or tea shops or uh, indeed you know public uh, water resources and water tanks and so forth, by thinking of these as indeed uh, public amenities. Right. So now the public amenity. Uh, is is open to um, to a public to a wider public, and what this does is that it comes into conflict with notions of distinct caste based publics, right? and 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 it's in this context that we see, for instance, uh, the the challenge, the kind of test case that um, uh, that the Mahat case also becomes, the challenge becomes. Um, a, a redefinition or an effort to think about um, exclusive spaces as public spaces, and secondly, to enlarge the notion of what constitutes a public. 
And I think both of those things are happening under the cover of what is a, a, a much um, more contained or confined idea of public access that the colonial state is putting forward. Okay. And so the colonial state, and so just to give you again a kind of brief history, because the Konkan and the region of, you know, Ratnagiri and so forth are very uh, is significant for this. There's a long-term tradition here. We've got somebody called Gopal Baba Valankar, who it becomes a bridge between the early Dalit movement and the Satyashodak Samaj, who's very active in the region. Um, his family is, is uh, connected with the family of Arbi More, for instance, who is very important in that region. And we see someone like More who grows up in that region, you know, really uh, transformed by the arguments, the radical anti-caste arguments that are being made by people like Valankar and others in that period. We see a number of local activists um, who really are transformed by the message of equality and equal access. And for them, even before we start getting to things like public tanks and so forth, probably the most important early site for claiming public access is the school. Right? And school become very significant because, uh, as you know, uh, for anti-caste radicals like Fule and certainly Ambedkar, the right to think, the, the, the claim to intellectual labor, inclusion in the ideological, <laughs> in the space, in the, in, the, in the domain of ideology, right, is the most significant first space for them to actually, you know, kind of challenge and in, in many ways to, 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 to take over, right? And why is this? Because the access to schooling is an access to fundamentally the right to think and the right to rethink and to challenge the fundamental ideology of caste and caste hierarchy, right? So schools, you know, even before we get to Mahard and so on, schools become very important spaces. And the colonial state, just to go back to what I was saying, this paradoxical role of the colonial state. Now, the colonial state uh, uh, works in, in, in a contradictory manner in these cases. The colonial state begins to take on the project of schooling, as we know, especially uh, primary schooling. They offer grants in aid to schools, uh, even if these are uh, schools that are uh, meant for particular sects and communities and so on. Right, So they're giving grants in aid. And what happens is that many of the uh, anti-caste activists begin to use the fact that these are public schools by the fact that they receive a grant in aid from the colonial government to begin to make a claim for public inclusion, right? for social inclusion, excuse me, and for the right to access public amenities. So the idea of being, and in this period, and the reason that I mentioned the Ratnagiri district and so forth is also because this is a, this is a, a place where you have a large number of Mahar military pensioners, people who've been part of the British army, who have in fact received English schooling, right? And so who've been exposed in many ways to the institutional, to colonial modernity and some of its institutional sites. There, many of them come to stay in the Ratnagiri district and in a place called Dapoli, 
which is also where Arby More is, is born and where he uh, effects some of his early experiments. Even as a child, for instance, he tries to open up a hotel um, and, and offer you know, water to, to Dalits because they are otherwise prohibited from accessing water in public spaces. They can't enter tea shops, they can't go into hotels and so on. Right? So, so schooling and these public spaces become extremely important spaces for Dalits to begin rights claims, right? And so the school, I think, is the, is the precursor. So schools, streets, tanks, water sources, etc., they all become part of a broad reconfiguration of what it means to exert and assert public presence. Right, to actually be visible in public as a member of a so-called stigmatized community, Dalit Bahujans. And they got such an atmosphere in their house that, as I said, when the one-story Dazgao was built in the building, the house was built in the house, so at that time, because the house was built in the house, विठल हाटे उसको जोशी जोशी मींस ये जो ज्योतिष देखने वाले लोगों को मराठी में जोशी ऐसा कहा जाता है तो उनको विठल हाटे जोशी माड़ी वाला जोशी ऐसा उनका आइडेंटिटी थी उनकी और वो उस वक्त के उनका एक फाइनेंशियल उनकी अच्छी साउंड पोजीशन थी तो उन्होंने वो माड़ी बनाई थी वो जो घर वो बनाया था तो उस घर को उस वक्त के जो ट्रेडिशनल जो ऑर्थोडॉक्स कम्युनिटी के ब्राह्मण कम्युनिटी के लोग थे उन्होंने विरोध किया कि एक अनटचेबल ऐसा घर बनाने सकता तो जिस ब्राह्मण ने उसका भूमि पूजन वगैरह किया था उसके ऊपर भी उन्होंने उस वक्त बॉयकॉट किया तीन महीना उसके ऊपर बॉयकॉट किया गया था और मगर इन्होंने माना नहीं बाद में फिर उन्होंने जो ऑर्थोडॉक्स कम्युनिटी के लोग थे उन्होंने आरबी मोरे के फादर and there was a similar atmosphere at home. Remember I told you about the one-story building? The person who built it, Vintal Hate Joshi, was in a financially sound position. The orthodox Brahmins had opposed the construction of the house, saying an untouchable could not build such a house. There was even a boycott on the Brahmins who conducted the Bhumi Poojan ceremony for the house. There was a false accusation against R.B. More's father that he had used forest wood for the construction of the house. They did not have the courage to accuse R.B. Mori's uncle because his financial position was sound. So they went after R.B. Mori's father. As a result, he was in prison for two years. Seeing his innocent father punished because of some Brahmins increased his motivation to fight casteism. Later, after he received an education, he was more motivated. Earlier, when he went to write the scholarship exam, he had been made to sit separately. This experience of untouchability was present with him since childhood.
तो उस इशू पे अरविंद मोरे ने स्टूडेंट एज में ही वो स्ट्रगल जो है वो करना शुरू किया और जब स्कूल के अंदर ये कर रहे थे उसी पीरियड के अंदर महाड़ के अंदर एक जो मेन प्लेस थी जहाँ बहुत से क्योंकि बाकी जो रेस्टोरेंट के जो हॉटेल पर रहते थे या वहाँ अच्छी तो को पानी पीने के मिलता नहीं था तो फिर उन्होंने आरवी मोरे ने एक अच्छा सेंटर प्लेस था ड्रिंकिंग There were a lot of retired military men who would come to Mahar, and people started meeting there. This was the beginning of his life, and as a consequence of receiving an education, he also had a sense of self-respect. During this time, he met Dr. Ambedkar's older brother, Badaram Dada, who had retired from the military. वो भी मिलिट्री से रिटायर हुए थे, तो उनके साथ उनका परिचय हुआ था, और उनके वो संपर्क में भी आए थे, और थोड़ा बहुत क्योंकि उनके गांव के अंदर का दूसरी दादगाँव की एक खासियत ऐसी मैं बताना चाहता हूँ क्योंकि ये अंबेडकर अंबेडकर मूवमेंट के पहले की जो सोशल रिफॉर्म की जो मूवमेंट थी अगेंस्ट कास्टिज्म उसके अंदर का एक बड़ा नाम है जिनका नाम है गोपाल बाबा वलंकर गोपाल बाबा वलंकर का जो गाँव है वो दादगाँव के जो खाड़ी है जिसको समंदर का जो खाड़ी का हिस्सा रहता है उसके उस पार एक गाँव था तो वहाँ के वो रहने वाले थे मगर वो खुद महात्मा फुले के फॉलोअर रहे जो महात्मा फुले जो महाराष्ट्र के और भारत के एक बड़े समाज क्रांतिकारक थे तो उनके वो फॉलोअर रहे तो उन्होंने उनका दादगाँव में आना जाना रहता था और लंबे से उनका रिश्ता भी रहता था तो दादगाँव में आने जाने की वजह से जब ये जिसका मैंने जिक्र किया माड़ी का जो वन स्टोरेड घर बनाया गया जिसको विरोध किया गया था तो उसको लेकर उन्होंने विटा विध्वंसन नाम से एक बुकलेट ये एटीन एटी फाइव नाइन्टी की बात है ये उन्होंने उस वक्त का जो प्रिंटिंग प्रेस का अलग यानी पत्थर के ऊपर ये करके उसका ये करके प्रिंट किया जाता था तो वैसे शिवा जिसको मराठी में बोलते हैं शिवा प्रेस हिस्ट्री <laughs> At his speech during the first Mahar Satyagraha, Dr. Ambedkar talks about the region's tradition of reformist movements. Even though R. B. Moray did not have a direct relationship with Gopal Baba Walankar, he knew about the book that he had written, and he wrote about that in his autobiography. So, so the claim begins to be made, uh, and and the colonial state is a quite important player in this. Uh, claims begin to be made that if the colonial state is giving money, grants and aid to schools, why is a whole segment of the Indian population being prohibited from it? 
and it puts the colonial state in a bit of a quandary. And the schooling issue is quite significant um, because I'll, it gives you a sense of the kinds of uh, creative manipulations of colonial law um, that that uh, the colonial government needs to engage in in order to both respond to some of these claims while protecting the the um, the sentiment and the sensibilities of upper castes, right? So in terms of schooling, the, the colonial state says, yes, you know, we are open. It's a grant-aided school. Uh, it's open to everybody. But we recognize that we're in a traditional society. We have this thing called caste. Most of the people who are studying in these schools are upper caste. So how are we going to preserve or uh, actually, um, yes, how will we protect the sentiments of these upper castes? And they come up with this very interesting idea, what I call a kind of colonial technology of segregation, where they say, we'll have Dalit students in the school, but we're also going to respect rules governing spatial proximity and distance. And we'll have these students sit on the veranda to get an education. So they receive an education, but it is so, so it is a kind of separate plus equal <laughs> model of thinking through what it means to access a public space. So there is a long history. So I, I do want to suggest that, you know, there are a number of uh, cases. Um, there are a number of efforts by individuals across the late 19th century to begin to sort of challenge, right? to say, if there is a, a right to public access, let's test that. And people are doing, parents are doing this. So think of this as, you know, very much like the, the civil rights cases in the United States, where parents are actually sending young children, right? I mean, just think of the extraordinary political force of this to send a young Dalit child into a school where she or he is stigmatized. Nobody shares food with you. Nobody will give you water. There is, in fact, a kind of separate water source that gets set up. So they have their own, you know, um, um, water pots and so on. So imagine the kind of extraordinary everyday politics that people are engaging in in this period to make these kinds of claims, right? So there is a kind of prehistory. There is a prehistory of individuals, of collectives, people located in areas like, you know, uh, Dapoli in the Ratnagiri district, which have longer term histories of anti-caste protest, of anti-caste revolt, really beginning to launch, you know, at the level of everyday politics, what I will call these test cases. Right? How do we actually get kids into school? Right? And yes, the, the idea of the, the colonial veranda is, is a halfway house. But what it does do is to allow Dalit students to get in through the door. Right? And very interestingly, and this is sort of an argument that I've made in, in my book, The Caste Question, that very interestingly, as uh, um, Dalit students, for instance, start going into these spaces, rather than seeing this as, a, as, a, as an aspect of colonial beneficence or uh, a move towards greater equality, they actually begin to become even more clear about the extent, the deep-rooted nature of caste hierarchy and caste distinction and caste difference, right? So the idea here is that, you know, as you start engaging with, even in some partial form, a, 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 um, a discourse, an idea of equality, of, you know, uh, equal access to public amenities, the more you start becoming aware 
of the minute distinctions, differences, and exclusions that govern your everyday life. You know, so you've got, you know, new associational forms that are uh, emerging across the 19th century. So I spoke about the Satyashodak Samaj, you have Valankars, uh, Anarya Dosh, Pariharak Mandali, that's also involved uh, in the particular context. And then as we start moving into the, the into the Ambedkar moment, as it were, uh, we're also beginning to see the uh, formation in 1924 of the Bahishkrit Hidkarani Sabha. Uh, which plays a quite important role uh, in in creating a kind of you know reformist agenda early on you know so you've got uh, again these are you know this is you know in Bombay you've got things like reading rooms that are set up you've got sports clubs that are set up you've got you know associational forms i.e. meetings and so forth around the BHS the Bhashtrithit Karani Sabha uh, and as you start moving into and then of course you know you have the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh which is set up uh, by, again, local uh, Mahar communities in the Konkan in particular, uh, who are the ones who actually take on the project of doing things like fundraising, so again, you know, what are these associational forms doing? They are reformist organizations. On the one hand, they're petitioning the colonial government. And so they have that kind of public facing uh, aspect to them of making claims for inclusion, for instance, in the, in the British army. They are making a set of claims for civic inclusion uh, and so forth. So that's, you know, the, the ways in which they're uh, engaging the colonial government in particular to redress caste hierarchy. But all of them are also very importantly organizations that are led by new groups of Dalit publicists, political activists, and so on, whose focus is also on reforming the community from within. And so very importantly, you will have meetings where uh, you know, people are enjoined to give up eating carrier. They're enjoined to give up performing degraded labor, such as uh, you know, working with the, with the, the Maharvatan. So if you know, uh, using that as a, as a degraded labor form, they are uh, incited, you might say, to participate in, in uh, new modes of education, right? So again, this idea of a radical transformation of the caste self through self-making, dignity, rethinking in a fundamental sense who you are. Right. So that's the project. So it's a, it's an existential, it's an existential remaking of the caste self right? through a kind of reformist set of initiatives that have to do with everyday practices. So what you eat, the challenge uh, around marriage, doing away. So the Satyashodak Samaj is very interested, for instance, in challenging the power of the Brahmin priesthood, in officiating at marriages. They come up with new marriage forms. So the fundaments of what we think of as, as the intimacy of caste, right, which has to do with food, which has to do with sexuality, it has to do with marriage, it has to do with the claim to education, and it has a, a claim to becoming part of these civic and political organizations, associations, that are actually trying to create a kind of Dalit collective, right? To, to politicize the Dalit community in order to function, you could say, as a kind of interest block. I background life. 1917 के अंदर पहली बार उन्होंने जब बाबा साहब अंबेडकर 
विदेश से डिग्री लेकर आए थे तो मुंबई के अंदर रहने वाले जो रिटायर मिलिट्री मैं थे और कोंकण अंबेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरेडकरे
But to quote from Dhananjayaki's biography of Ambedkar, however, the resolution of the municipality remained a mere gesture in that the untouchables had not exercised their right owing to the hostility of the caste Hindus. So, when the army was understood that this happened, then the army was the first time in 1924, in the Mahad, in the Mahad, in the Mahad, in the when R.B. Morey understood that this was not being implemented, he organized a meeting of the untouchables of Mahad at the part of the village where the untouchable community lived and where the Kranti Stham or the revolutionary pillar stands today. It was known as a Mahadwada at that time and Baudwada today. At the meeting, it was decided that they had to make the resolution a reality. For that, they felt it was important to bring a well-known person from their community, and they resolved to bring Ambedkar there. By the mid-1920s, B.R. Ambedkar, who had returned to India following his studies, had already made very public arguments for the creation of separate electorates for oppressed minority communities. In March 1924, he convened the meeting that established the Bahishkrit Hitkarni Sabha with the motto, Educate, Agitate and Organize. At the same time, Ambedkar was also maintaining a legal practice. So, I mean, this is really a fascinating story because, as, as you know, um, I mean, Ambedkar's career uh, uh, position as a lawyer is referenced by my multiple people. Uh, but the, the, the sort of standard biographies, um, for example, um, Christoph Jaffalo uh, or even Han um, sort of covered this in a, 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 a sort of this skim over this, and the suggestion is that since Ambedkar came back with a law degree, he had a very hard time building his practice. Um, some of this is structural. So if you look at his contemporaries like um, Gandhi and Jinnah, they all start their legal careers where they come from sort of commercial um, commercial backgrounds uh, or commercial castes. So much of their early work is drawn from members of their caste group. Uh, but for Ambedkar, uh, not only does he not get upper caste clients, but for many Dalit clients, um, the chances of getting a better hearing, the, the assumption is you get a better hearing with an upper caste lawyer. So initially, um, Dalit clients who have money would not be coming to Ambedkar. So Ambedkar's work, um, both structurally and through design, really focuses on a range of what, what one would describe today as, as public lawyering or civil liberties lawyering. So he, he comes back. Uh, as a barrister, um, he in, ends up borrowing money to get a sanat to practice and sets up a small office in the BIT Chol where he lives. Um, and uh, I mean, this is pretty much what most of the biographies describe. Um, later on in the 30s, when Ambedkar is sort of well known, I mean, everyone's sort of puzzled as to why, you know, he's such an influential academic. He's involved in editing the Bombay Law Journal. He's teaching at a number of universities um, and, and teaching law. Why don't they know more about a legal career? Uh, I mean, the irony, of course, is that many of these figures would not have gone to Ambedkar themselves with their own, with their own cases. Um, so what Ambedkar is doing in the 20s is a, is, is a range of matter. One, clearly, uh, his home becomes a kind of space where um, many Dalits coming from the village sort of stay when they have legal matters. Uh, he's taking on a lot of um, what one would describe as um, pauper cases involving death penalty. And again, from what I see with the names of um, the petitioners, these are very often um, Dalit men who've been charged with death penalty in various parts of uh, Maharashtra. Um, and his first big case in the 20s really involved um, um, the uh, defense of uh, political writing. Yeah, so he, he starts uh, engaging in a kind of intercommunity uh, disputes as well. So 
uh, there's a famous uh, case uh, involving the defense of Deshatri Dushman, Enemies of My Country. It's a Marathi book authored by Keshav Jedhe, which is a kind of critique of Brahmanism and describes Tilak and, uh, you know, Chiplunkar, who are sort of, you know, nationalist heroes as enemies of the nation and uh, children of asses for defense of their Brahman privileges. So the book gets banned and there's, of course, a kind of suit for defamation. Uh, and Ambedkar sort of, you know, engages in this as a kind of um, using his sort of fine, um, uh, so he's not staging some kind of political basis, um, arguing that, you know, the defamation is appropriate. He basically sort of uses technical legal questions to suggest that um, um, you can't essentially defame the dead. And also that the attacks are not against the Brahmin community as a whole. So you can't be, they can't claim standing within the suit. So uh, the, finally, the case essentially notes that um, the attack is a mischievous one, but it's not an illegal one. And the magistrates don't have the powers to sort of supervise this. Um, so in a way, Anupama Rao's study of Ambedkar sort of shows that he is constantly building on an idea of civic rights to challenge um, uh, an older conception of the legal system, which is rooted in either religious uh, reform or uh, a notion of customary uh, rights and identities. And indeed, the, the kind of nature of um, uh, the colonial legal system was that the two kinds of rights that tend to upheld, uphold were rights to property and rights that were rooted in custom. So recognized as your, you know, your status as a Hindu widow or your status as a um, uh, sort of uh, uh, Banya, um, uh, you know, property holder granted certain specific rights to you because, because of your particular identity. But these are not generalizable rights. And a lot of Ambedkar's early legal work really shows a framework for thinking of generalizable rights. So just to give a couple more examples, um, he really gets involved in doing a lot of these um, press and censorship cases. So apart from Spratt, who's a communist, and of course, uh, the Deshachi Dushman piece, he's involved in defending um, uh, sort of an early um, manual on uh, sort of sexual health uh, from obscenity charges. Uh, it's one of these reformist journals that um, want to sort of uh, educate people on, um, you know, better uh, sexual hygiene practices. Um, and, and this is edited by Professor R.D. Carvey. It's called Samad Sastra. And uh, Ambedkar sort of goes to the uh, court and he sort of argues that, you know, look, in obscenity, um, the idea, the, the IPC clause says it's going to, um, uh, you know, affect, um, corrupt somebody who would read it. But he says, since this is a magazine that deals with sexual hygiene, the only people who would read it are those who subscribe to the magazine. So it might deprave a person in ordinary circumstances, but not uh, the reader of this magazine itself. He says that the magazine has no general news. It only publishes article on this and it will not circulate to the general public. And he also gets the magistrate to admit that there's a kind of taboo of silence on sexual matters that needs to be ended, almost suggesting that like a kind of progressive modern nation would have a kind of open conversation about, about questions like this. Um, so, so around the time um, uh, of the Tanks uh, uh, of case, he's sort of uh, both engaging in kind of indigenous defense, but also uh, uh, engaging in front of the early civil liberty matters. Uh, it is not only about uh, it is not only about claim to resources. It is about claim to justice, for example, uh, uh, delivery of justice, whose experiences of injustice becomes question of justice everywhere, you see, a struggles of justice everywhere. So, um, I would, uh, I mean, uh, 
uh, I would say that uh, our 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 today's discussion of Buddhism uh, in Mahar basically also bring this two kinds of question. One is that problems have to be seen as resulting from a larger social, is uh, a, a larger social context. Yes, and that. Uh, even particular problems have to be seen as resulting from universal conditions and ought to be ought to be both articulated and addressed from the universal location so one and that even the idea of articulation of problem also has to be seen uh, yes, I mean, uh, in terms of that universality uh, yes, I mean, uh, so so the idea of particularity in terms of articulation of problem perhaps I mean would lead us to this kind of segregated fragmented claims to a certain resources without addressing the larger uh, larger universal conditions which in a way denies uh, the, these resources to to everyone as rightful claims thank you for listening to the Nagrik podcast Nagrik podcast are a part of Nagrik Open Civic Learning, a project to reduce inequality in access to knowledge about law, public institutions, and civic participation. On previous episodes of this podcast, we learnt, among other things, about the Chipko movement, the struggle to save the Niamgiri Hills, and the Varli Revolt. Just search for Nagrik Podcasts on your podcast app and subscribe to the podcast feed to listen to these episodes. And if you like any of them, don't hesitate to send it to your friends and colleagues. Let us now go back to Subodh More, who was telling us about the birth of the Mahat Samaj Seva Sangh in Mumbai. And in that meeting, in that time, in that time, in that time, in that time, Bhairam Dada Ambedkar, who was the brother of his brother, and in that time, 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 who was Sambhaji Tukaram Gaikwad, Alayas Karmavir, कर्मवीर गायकवाड़ दादा साहब कर्मवीर दादा साहब गायकवाड़ उनको कहते थे तो ये लोग फिर मुंबई में जाकर अरबी मोरे और बाकी लोग जाके अमृतों को 24 में मिले और उनको कहा कि ऐसा ऐसा हम प्रोग्राम लेना चाहते हैं आप 
They decided to send the message through Badaram Dada, who was Ambedkar's older brother, and Sambhaji Tukaram Gaekwar, who was a social reformer. Along with them, R.B. More met Ambedkar in Mumbai in 1924. Anantrao Chitre, who had previously helped R.B. More with his schooling, used to work with Ambedkar and he was also present. After the meeting, R.B. More explained the details of the planned action to Chitre and Chitre explained these details to Ambedkar. And then in 1925, there was another meeting. The plan was for Chitre to attend the meeting and go over the preparations for the planned action. And then Ambedkar would give them a date. Chitre, however, was not able to attend this meeting. His cousin, Kamla Kant Chitre, a later associate of Baba Sahib Ambedkar, and for a long time a registrar of the People's Education Society, attended the meeting at Mahar in 1925. Among the retired military men who were present was Vishran Savatkar. The military men who attended the meeting promised their solidarity and said they would promote this action in the surrounding neighborhoods. After that, in 1926, in Mumbai, a father-son duo named Atrekar, who belonged to the Dalit struggle, and Bhikaji Gaekwad, the son of Sambhaji Gaekwad, met with R.B. More at the Atrekar house in Malabar Hill. At this meeting, they decided to form the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh. So there is an effort to actually use. So, so the interesting thing about the Mahard case, of course, is that it is not the state that is preventing Dalits from accessing the water tank, the Saudar water tank, uh, which is next to the Vireshwar temple in, in the town of Mahard. It is actually caste Hindus who seek to reinterpret what the colonial state sees as a broad and open claim to a public resource, to a public amenity, a water tank, by claiming that this cannot be. That, you know, you do not have this kind of an open public in, uh, in India at all. That all publics are caste publics, which means that they are hierarchical, they're differentiated, and they are exclusive rather than inclusive. Right? And so when I say that the Mahad uh, case, you know, like the temple entry satyagrahas after that become test cases, the reason I say this is because we do then have to think about the, um, the kind of organizational strength of someone like Ambedkar, but also his, the, the legal mind at work, right? 
And so what is it that, you know, Ambedkar, for instance, does? And again, as I said, you know, uh, the, 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 the Mahat case itself comes up because there have been, as I tried to indicate, I think, numerous other efforts to, for instance, in 22, there's an effort on, a, on the part of a small group of persons to go and enter a temple. You know, they anoint the the deity with uh, with goat's blood, I think it is, or something like that, as a sindur and so forth. So what they try to do is to enter a temple from which, you know, they've been prohibited as Dalits and, you know, engage in an act of, uh, of uh, worship, which gets read by caste Hindus as an act of sacrilege and defacement <laughs> right and so there's there are there are numerous you know so there are sorts on schools people have tried to enter you know temples uh in in localized ways and then certainly you know we talked about Abimore. he heads um there is an effort in Goregaon in Bombay, what is now bombay greater bombay there's an effort there's a small water uh, tank entry that takes place in Goregaon and all of these are uh, end up in, in kind of caste riots, if you will. There's always, you know, violence that's practiced by upper caste Hindus in order to make sure that lower castes and that it's in particular, you know, to make sure to, to prevent them from accessing that space. And then Arbimore in 1924 undertakes a sort of, you know, uh, test satyagraha, pre-satyagraha to Mahar, if you will, uh, in, uh, in uh, Daskam. Uh, in and around Daskaon, uh, where he comes from again in in the Ratnagiri, in the Konkan, in the Ratnagiri district. And on that side, the Mumbai city, the untouchables are working in the education, the night schools, the awareness of the untouchables. Its purpose was the education and awakening of the untouchable community in Mumbai city and to unite the untouchable community of the Konkan region. Since the responsibility for this would lie with those in Mumbai, Bhikaji Gaikwad was made the president. R.B. More was elected the secretary and Atrekar the treasurer. अधिकारी थे तो उन्होंने वहां का जो एक तालाब था तो उस तालाब के अंदर अच्छुतों को पानी पीने को मिलना चाहिए इसके लिए कुछ प्रोग्राम लेने का डिसाइड किया था वो लेने के लिए जब एक हुआ तो वहां का एक नौजवान लड़का था जिसका नाम था रामचंद्र चांदोरकर at about the same time, some upper caste social reformers, including some Brahmins at the village of Goregao near Mahara, decided to conduct an action program to permit the untouchable community to access the lake at Mahard for water. One young man of that area, named Ramchandra Chandorkar, decided to drink water from the lake. The actions of the upper caste peoples did not match their words and seeking their lack of initiative, he jumped into the lake. The orthodox people of the village got angry and beat him up. He then arrived in Mumbai and met R.P. More and the others of the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh and informed them about what had happened. A team from the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh, which would today be called a fact-finding team, including E.B. More, went to Goregaon and collected information. 
यानी गोरेगांव में जो अच्छी पर हमला हुआ जो रामचंद्र चांदो पर हमला हुआ और पानी पीने के लिए विरोध किया उसका विरोध और ये जो बोले रेजोल्यूशन पास पास हुआ है महाड़ के अंदर तो उसका इम्प्लीमेंट करने के लिए फिर आरबी मोरे की अगुवाई से आरबी मोरे जिस गांव में उनका एजुकेशन हुआ उसका नाम है दासगांव तो उस दासगांव के अंदर ही दासगांव के अंदर एक क्रॉफर्ड वेल है और क्रॉफर्ड तालाब है टैंक है ये क्रॉफर्ड ये उस वक्त का जो ये था ब्रिटिश कलेक्टर था उसके नाम से नाम दिया गया था तो उन्होंने डिसीजन लिया कि ये हम वहाँ उसका प्रोटेस्ट करेंगे उसका प्रोटेस्ट मीटिंग लेंगे और ये तालाब को हम लोग जिसको मराठी में कहते हैं कि बाटवाई था कि वहाँ उसको उसका हम वहाँ से पानी पियेंगे तो ये करने के लिए जब उन्होंने डिसाइड किया और उसका बाकायदा उन्होंने पैम्पलेट्स वाला छोटे से निकाले वो पैम्पलेट्स they would symbolically protest by taking water from Crawford Well and Lake in Dasgaon, named after the British collector at the time. Pamphlets announcing this protest were distributed at Dasgaon and at Mahar. The government officials of the area, including the police, were also given notice. They were also supported by a community of upper caste goldsmiths from the same village, known as the Sonar community. The area of Dasgaon had people belonging to what are now known as the other backward castes, Muslims and some other communities. It was mixed. And as I have said, there already was a tradition of reform. So before Mahar, it was in Dasgaon on December 4, 1926 that people officially held a protest action to drink water. दासगांव के अंदर पहली बार लोगों ने ऑफिशियली पानी पीने का जो ये है ये प्रोग्राम किया और उसका फिर मैसेज आजूबाजू के गांव के अंदर भी जा गया उसके बाद हम देखते हैं कि तो इसकी भी ये जो करने के बाद फिर से अंबेडकर को बताया गया कि ऐसा ऐसा ये हुआ है करके और बाद में चित्रेन चित्रे को चित्रे ने क्योंकि भाई चित्र जो आने वाले थे उनको फिर से बताया गया तो भाई चित्र को फिर से बोला गया कि आप इसके लिए डेट दो कर दी तो फिर चित्रे ने अंबेडकर चित्रे ने फिर जो सहस्रबुद्धे करके दूसरे एसोसिएट के अंबेडकर के उनको लेटर लिखा वो लेटर का ये अंबेडकर आल्सो रिसीव्ड इनफॉरमेशन अबाउट दिस एंड चित्रे वाज अगेन आस्क्ड टू गिव अ डेट फॉर द प्रोटेस्ट एक्शन एट महार चित्रे देन रोड he mentioned that R.B. Morey and Vishram Savadkar were rapidly preparing for the upcoming conference and that they would require a date from Ambedkar. In February of 1927, Sahasar Pudde wrote to Chitre that after a lot of difficulty, Baba Sahab Ambedkar had given them a date. And then in March, the historic Mahar Satyagraha happened. And then in March, the historic Mahar Conference or Mahar Satyagraha and I spoke to the fact that, you know, you have a very long history of the emergence of a kind of anti-caste public. That public is, is of course, a public of, of uh, speech making, of claiming public space. It's happening through song and sound. Uh, so, you know, things like the Satyashodak Jalsas, the Ambedkari Jalsas, which are performative forms where you'd gather people on street corners in order to get messages across to communities that are... Uh, 
that are uh, non uh, non literate in you know or i would say that you know they're they're uh, not writerly communities i don't want to call them non literate but these are communities that uh, are are part of a kind of culture of orality right so you have that happening and then of course you have a spate of journalism that's happening in this period so you can think about you know the satyashodak samaj itself is having inaugurated this but if you start thinking about what ha- is happening with uh, dalit activism uh you know you have uh, uh muknayak you have bhishkrit bharat bhishkrit bharat becomes the main organ in this time for spreading the message of mahad very very important and uh, you know and again you should think about the fact that you know mukna somwan shyamitra muknayak bhishkrit bharat in this period what it's created is is both a kind of reading public but it's also a kind of receiving public right most people are not literate in that sense but you've got again that's why these military pensioners those who have had an engagement with the colonial state already become important so these are the guys so you know an ordinary be more right so these are the people who are you know they're going to be reading bhishkrit bharat out to people you have handbills that are being circulated and so there's an extraordinary and you know i mentioned so in the memoirs of a dalit communist we have some of the uh, uh, handbills and so forth that are being circulated my book carries a number of those handbills that are being put up and so you know so it is it is about song sound word public meetings uh, all of these things are producing this this uh, politicized public if you will so mumbai ka jo damodar hall theater hai ek bahut prominent bada theater hai uske baju mein social service league उसके नाम के ऊपर नाटक का शो लगाने का डिसाइड किया और उस शो में से पैसा जमा करने का ऐसा निर्णय लिया और शो हुआ भी तो शो के लिए मगर आरबी मोरे एंड अदर मेंबर्स ऑफ द महार समाज सेवा संघ स्टेज्ड अ प्ले टू रेज फंड्स फॉर द प्रपोज्ड प्रोटेस्ट एक्शन उसमें से ज्यादा कुछ फंड इट वाज कॉल्ड संत तुकाराम बेस्ड ऑन द लाइफ ऑफ द प्रोग्रेसिव पोएट 23 रुपीस दिस वाज देयर फर्स्ट एक्सपीरियंस ऑफ डूइंग समथिंग लाइक दिस इनिशियली दे स्ट्रगल्ड टू रेज फंड्स दे रिटन अबाउट हाउ अ लॉट ऑफ पीपल केम टू वॉच द प्ले फॉर फ्री मैं बताना चाहता हूं कि महार सत्याग्रह के प्रिपरेशन के लिए इस तरह की तैयारी भी फंडर्स का भी ये किया गया था और उसी के अंदर तभी आरबी मोरे की एज ज्यादा थी और आरबी मोरे इन बिटवीन उनका आरबी मोरे हु बाय दिस टाइम वाज विजिटिंग अंबेडकर्स ऑफिस रेगुलरली went to him and requested him to visit the hall and address the audience of the play during the interval ambedkar instead encouraged rb more to address the audience instead ki abhi interval mein aap aaiye 
और आप दो शब्द बोलकर एक तो बाबा साहब ने आर्मी वाले को बोला कि तुमने ही सब ये किया तो मैं क्यों है ना मैं मेरा सपोर्ट है उल्टा तुम ही इसमें भाषण करो ऐसा उन्होंने आर्मी वाले को बोला तो आर्मी वाले ने उनकी मेमोरीज में लिखा है He remembers this as his first ever speech delivered before a large audience that included Ambedkar. Baba Sahib Ambedkar was present there, so in front of him, I gave my life's first speech. He also wrote it in his memory. In memory. According to Dhananjay Kheer's autobiography of B.R. Ambedkar, thousands of people from across Maharashtra and Gujarat arrived in Mahad for the first day of the conference on March 19, 1927. In his address, Ambedkar said, and I quote, No lasting progress can be achieved unless we put ourselves through a threefold process of purification. We must improve the general tone of our demeanor, retone our pronunciations and revitalize our thoughts. I therefore ask you now to take a vow from this moment to renounce eating carrion. It is high time that we rooted out from our mind the ideas of highness and lowness among ourselves. Make an unflinching resolve not to eat the thrown out crumbs. We will attain self-elevation only if we learn self-help, regain our self-respect and gain self-knowledge. Stop quote. Among other matters, the conference which came to be known as the first Mahad conference appealed to the government to make the S.K. Bole resolution a reality, if necessary by providing a protective legal environment for its enforcement. After a few upper caste Hindus of Mahad spoke in favour of the Mahad municipality's decision to throw open the Chavda tank to the untouchable cars, everyone marched towards the tank to take water from it. Dhanajaki writes, I quote, there never was such a thrilling spectacle in the whole history of the suppressed people when the downtrodden who had groaned under the heels of injustice through ages rose to assert their human civic rights. Stop quote. At the tank, Ambedkar took water followed in defiance of the oppressive caste system by a large number of people. After that, they returned to the Pandal. Two hours later, there was violent reprisal from the upper caste Hindus of Mahat, provoked perhaps by a rumour that the gathered Dalits were also planning to enter the Vireshwar temple in Mahat, they, to quote Dhananjaki again, pounced upon the delegates in the Pandal, knocked down their food in the dust, pounded the utensils and belaboured some before they knew what had happened. Stop quote. Many of those who had come for the conference from other parts of Maharashtra had by now either left or were preparing to leave. Many Dalits sought shelter in the homes of Muslims. After meeting the police inspector, Ambedkar returned to the streets to convince the upper caste Hindus that there was no plan to enter the temple. Several days later, the orthodox Hindus of Mahat conducted a purification ceremony at the tank and declared the water once again fit for consumption by the upper caste. उसके बाद नेक्स्ट डे सब लोग बाबा साहब अंबेडकर भी और बाकी लोग भी सब मुंबई आ गए और फिर उसी पीरियड के अंदर बहिष्कृत भारत का बारे में मैं बताने जाता हूँ कि उसके बाद तीन अप्रैल 1927 को बहिष्कृत भारत ये पहला विकली अने पहला विकली मैं इसलिए बोल रहा हूँ 
कि उसके पहले मुकनायक नाम का न्यूज़पेपर था मगर वो मुकनायक पेपर ये दूसरे ने निकाला था और बाद में बाबा साहब को उसका एडिटर बनाया गया था मगर बहिशुद भारत ये पहला वीकली तीन अप्रैल यानी महार सत्याग्रह हो गया बीस मार्च को बीस मार्च सत्ताईस को और तीन अप्रैल को पहला बहिशुद भारत का इशू तो वो तो बहिशुद भारत निकालने के बारे में भी आर्मी वाले ने उनके इसमें लिखा है सत्याग्रह The major reporting in that edition was about the Satyagraha itself, to which R. B. Morey contributed. Immediately, 10-15 days after, that means 20 March, which was on 3 April, that issue was released. And in that issue, the major reporting was about Mahar's conference, which was on Satyagraha. It was on that day. R. B. Morey himself, because in that day, if anyone reads it, the बहुत ही बारकाई से जो ये है वो उसमें बहुत सी बातें उसके अंदर आई जिसके अंदर बाद में उसके नेक्स्ट इशू जब ये हमले का भी बात बात हुआ तो फिर बाबा साहब अम्बेडकर ने डिक्लेयर किया कि हम फिर से बाबा साहब अम्बेडकर ने फिर महार समाज सेवा संघ के कार्यकर्ता और वैश्वितकरण के कार्यकर्ताओं के साथ मीटिंग लेकर निर्णय दिया कि हम ये जो हमला हुआ उसका प्रोटेस्ट करेंगे और फिर से महाड़ में जाएंगे and bahishkrit bharat ambedkar announced the decision to protest the violence against them by returning to mahar for a second conference this decision was communicated through the bahishkrit bharat second conference hoti hai to us second conference ke liye baad mein to pehli baar bahishkrit bharat jab publish hua to bahishkrit bharat ye pure maharashtra ke andar jahan jahan dalit basti dalit log ये है वहाँ उनके तक पहुँचा क्योंकि न्यूज़ अबाउट द सेकंड कॉन्फ्रेंस व्हिच वाज अनाउंस्ड टू टेक प्लेस ऑन दिसंबर 25 1927 बाकी नासिक के गुलिया डिस्ट्रिक्ट के अलग जो जो मार्च के नजदीक के जो डिस्ट्रिक्ट थे वहाँ से भी लोग उस वक्त आए हैं। The question of Dalit access to water from public tanks and the wisdom of having a second conference at Mahad was being discussed all over Maharashtra. Around this time, the upper caste Hindus of Mahad filed a suit to declare the tank as private property. Yeah, so uh, the, the interesting thing about the uh, uh, the case, I mean, one of course is to show that it doesn't legally belong um, to a community. There is sort of government funds going in. This is easy. The second, of course, is to show that a variety of different uh, groups have been using this. And, and the difficulty is that because it's a segregated area, there are no um, um, Dalit homes in the vicinity of the tank, uh, but there are several Muslim homes. So what I did find is Ambedkar writes to a local lawyer in Mahard saying that go find, go get an affidavit from a butcher, a Muslim butcher, showing that he'd use the tank. And there's an idea, of course, that if he can sort of, you know, if there's an argument about ritual purity of the tank, if there are communities that are not seen as ritually poor, 
who already use it, it sort of challenges the argument about uh, uh, about, about upper caste deal. So I'm sorry, as, as I remember now, the case starts in the trial court and then goes up to the Bombay High Court. Uh, and the trial court judgment is in some ways, again, uh, a, a, a powerful judgment because it says that just because there's a longstanding custom that Dalits haven't used the tang, it doesn't mean there's a legal right that's conferred upon caste Hindus, right? Um, the, just the use of a public tank by one class and non-use of another does not create rights in perpetuity. Uh, but by the time it gets to the high court, this gets watered down um, significantly. So, you know, this is, um, I mean, you know, again, here you're, you're I think the question about uh, newspapers and pamphlets and meetings and so forth becomes quite important because, you know, there's the first, uh, there is a Satyagraha of March 19th. Uh, there is there is a kind of, you know, what Ambedkar calls a, a religious war, a kind of riot, a caste riot that happens in its wake. People are beaten. Um, you know, there's massive Dalit mobilization. The Mahar, you know, pensioners are out in full force. It's taken on, you know, with all the kind of pomp and circumstance of, you know, people going out into battle. And so there's a real sense, you know, with the first Satyagraha itself, that something quite historic is happening. People are traveling for miles, you know, and Ambedkar is going to come. And so the, the, the persona, the symbolic, the iconic significance of Ambedkar is already quite, uh, uh, um, quite evident, <laughs> I suppose you could say, right? So they come out and then you've got this riot and the caste Hindus file a case that, you know, the tank has been defiled and then they go ahead and they actually conduct a purification ceremony that, you know, is considered that actually is defiling. Uh, you know, they put in, you know, cow dung and urine and so forth and they try to re-sanctify the space. And, uh, and so there's a kind of, you know, legal challenge that's happening. One of those stories where uh, a public sort of mobilizes, takes to the streets, and an elite group sort of tries to file a court case against it, uh, restricting um, the Satyagraha. And, and this is sort of what provokes, um, uh, I mean, in, in some ways, the filing of the court case, and I think it's interesting to think about this now, actually shuts down uh, the public protest, saying that this is now a matter sub judice. And, you know, people have suggested that Ambedkar's first burning of the Manuspriti um, is, is, is a sort of signal of this, sort of, uh, you know, um, where he says, I'm, I'm going to obey this new, this secular colonial law, but I'm, I'm going to destroy Brahminical Hindu law. Um, so in the, in the Chavdar, uh, Satyagraha case, it's, it's interesting that he's um, uh, not the lawyer, but he is actually marked as the main defendant. Uh, but he is definitely involved in um, the strategy behind the case, which is um, the, uh, the upper caste uh, members who file the suit argue that the tank is a private property and therefore not applicable, the resolution does not apply, neither do the municipal rules apply, um, and neither can the legislature sort of open this tank up for, for the public. The details of the legal challenge are being communicated through Bhaiskar Bharat. And so you could say that there's almost a kind of set of parallel tracks, right? So as the legal case is ongoing, Ambedkar is beginning to talk about the case. He's actually putting forth this very interesting kind of an argument that we've always had this right. It doesn't matter whether we've used the right or not, but this is about natural justice. How can you prevent somebody from accessing water of all things, right? So the fact that it's about water kind of sustaining life source, right? It's not something else. So he's really, you know, drawing attention to that and saying, of course, we have every right. This is about natural justice. Here is the way that the legal case is, you know, being argued and so forth. And he begins to actually use, and this is, I think, what's quite extraordinary in the Dalit public that's emerging, he begins to use this kind of argument 
about historic rights. The Dalits have historically had these rights and what they're doing here is to instantiate, to operationalize them. And in that sense, very much kind of getting people to understand that this is a kind of test case. He does the same thing when he talks about, you know, temple entry. He says, the question is not about my right to worship. I don't actually want to go and touch that God. I actually, you know, rational me, <laughs> non-superstitious me, etc., uh, recognize that, you know, the God in the temple is a stone. I don't want to go into worship the, the, the stone, but I do want to maintain that I have the right to be there if I wish. And so there's a very interesting overturning of the kind of argument that you might think would be made. So Ambedkar in that sense is quite extraordinary in how he is pitching what's happening with the Mahad case and so forth as the case is moving through the courts in Bahishkrit Bharat and through these meetings and public gatherings and so on. When Baba Sahib Ambedkar Mumbai, he came from Mumbai शिप से निकले क्योंकि वो शिप से क्योंकि क्योंकि वो रेगुलर छोटे जो बाय कार जाना क्योंकि उस वक्त जो प्राइवेट व्हीकल्स थे वो व्हीकल्स कभी-कभी लोगों को अंबेडकर डिसाइडेड टू गो टू महार बाय शिप बिकॉज़ प्राइवेट कार्स ऑफ़न वुड नॉट कोऑपरेट एंड माइट कॉज सम प्रॉब्लम्स ऑन द वे बिफोर दैट the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh wanted to be well prepared for the conference. They had a lot of support in the Marine Lines area of Mumbai, known as Dhobi Talao. A lot of Dalits from coastal Maharashtra used to work in the major hospitals and hotels of South Bombay. उसके जो स्ट्रॉंग होल्ड पॉकेट्स थे जिसके अंदर मरीन लाइंस का दोबी तलाव का एरिया फिर बम्बई सेंटर का एरिया खास करके साउथ बम्बई जिसको हम कहते हैं अभी का तो उस साउथ बम्बई के अंदर क्योंकि बहुत से लोग साउथ बम्बई दलित जो कॉम्पोनेंट रीजन के ये मुंबई के जो बड़े-बड़े हॉस्पिटल्स हैं लाइक जिमखाना है वहाँ काम करने वाले लोग थे तो ये सब उसी इलाके में आसपास रहते थे और जो चाली थी मिल्सिबल चाली तो कुछ लोग मिल्सिबल्टी में काम करते थे रेलवे में काम करते थे बाइकला वगैरह ये तो ये सब जो एरिया था उस एरिया के अंदर कम से कम महार समाज सेवा संघ ने 1926 से लेके 31 तक का एक रिपोर्ट उनका अवेलेबल है इसके अंदर मेंशन किया है कि उन्होंने सात आठ a decision was taken at Dhobi Talao to form a volunteer corps. They took help from retired and current military men for this. They wanted to model it on the Congress Seva Dal of the Indian National Congress. तो वैसा ही लाइक स्काउट का जो दल रहता है उस टाइप का तो उसी ले उसी को ये करके इन्होंने ऐसा डिसीजन लिया कि अंबेडकर सेवा दल उस दल का नाम दिया था शुरुआत के अंदर अंबेडकर सेवा दल तो अंबेडकर सेवा दल के नौजवानों का एक गार्ड का ये बनाया गया ग्रुप बनाया गया और वो ग्रुप साथ में मिलकर वो भी गया है वो इसके लिए बनाया गया था 
क्योंकि उनको ऐसा लग रहा था कि अभी सेकंड टाइम भी शायद कुछ तो अटैक होने की संभावना है और अगर अटैक होता है तो हम उसको रिटेलेट करेंगे ये उसके पीछे का मकसद था तो ये ये भी दिसंबर के पहले मुंबई में ये हुआ था और उसके लिए भी नौजवान का एक अच्छा इट वाज इनिशियली नेम्ड अंबेडकर सेवा दल और फिर ये लोग वन रीजन बिहाइंड इट्स फाउंडेशन वाज दैट दे एंटिसिपेटेड अ फर्दर अटैक ड्यूरिंग द सेकंड कॉन्फ्रेंस शिप निकली और बैचेस ऑफ यंग मेन जॉइंड इट डायरेक्ट दासगांव जो पोर्ट था वो छोटा पोर्ट था तो वहां बड़ी शिप आती नहीं थी तो दूसरा एक ये है एक पोर्ट वहां का नजदीक का वहां वहां उतरे वहां रात भर उनका रहने का इंतजाम किया गया वहां के जो इसी यानी दलित कम्युनिटी के लोग थे उनके साथ पहले ही से कोऑर्डिनेशन किया गया था वहां रात भर रुके और मॉर्निंग में ये लोग छोटे शिप से दासगांव बंद के ऊपर दासगांव का जो ये है बंदर है पोर्ट है वहां उतरे और फिर दासगांव से लोग पैदल पाँच किलोमीटर चलकर जुलूस निकालकर वो महाड़ में पहुंचे और फिर हम देखते कि उसके अंदर महाड़ के अंदर वो जाने के बाद में उसके उसके उस पेड के अंदर महाड़ में रहने वाली जो आरबी मोरी अबाउट हाउ द शिप लेफ्ट मुंबई फॉर पोर्ट नियर All the chief government executives of the district gathered at Mahad on December 19. Police were posted on all sides of the Chavda tank. Delegates and spectators began to pour into Mahad from December 21. The district magistrate visited their camp every day to dissuade the delegates from the proposed satyagraha. Stop quote. Ambedkar arrived at Dasgaon on the morning of December 24th. and was asked to immediately meet the district magistrate the district magistrate asked ambedkar to postpone the satyagraha but ambedkar wanted to at least address the conference during the speech he said and i quote this conference has been called to inaugurate an era of equality in this land stop quote and he drew parallels with the french revolution the removal of untouchability and intercaste dinners alone will not put an end to our ills he said all departments of services such as courts military police and commerce should be thrown open to us all departments of services such as courts military police and commerce should be thrown open to us the conference then voted to uphold several principles including the repudiation of the authority of all ancient and modern scriptures that perpetuated economic religious and political slavery the primary object of their condemnation was the manusmriti a legal text among the many dharma shastras that among other things sets out the structure and practices of india's oppressive caste system that night a copy of the manusmriti was placed on a pyre and burnt let me quote again from dhananjay kir this act was one of the greatest sacrilegious blows ever since the days of luther 
upon the egoistic bigots, custom mongers, and no changers on earth. December 25th, 1927 is therefore a red letter day in the annals of India as it was on this day that Ambedkar burnt the old smriti and demanded a new one in order to reshape the Hindu code governing the life of so vast a people. Mahat thus became the Wittenberg of India. Stop quote. So, yes, that's an extraordinary act. Um, and it is an act that... Um, you know, it is it is um, like no other, in that you know what what it does is you know, and it's it's the opening salvo, right? It's the it's the claim both to uh, the Dalit's right to think and rethink and challenge caste Hindu hierarchy, but that's the symbolism of that gesture is to yes, it is to say we refuse, right? We refuse a a millennial structure of exclusion, humiliation, dispossession, exploitation, stigmatization, right? And so it is indeed that kind of profound symbolic moment where it seems to me, and again, we're thinking about this as a crowd, right? It's a spectacle. So the spectacular nature of what's being done, it is like, you know, uh, off with the head of the king, right? It is that kind of, it is beheading the the it's beheading brahmanism <laughs> i think that's the way that i would put it right it is that act of of uh, defacement of violence of beheading and showing up uh caste hierarchy to be what it is radically inegalitarian non-inclusive not for our time right and actually capable of a challenge so it's everything, right? It's an existential moment of bringing together and constituting a Dalit public that can say no. It is a symbolic challenge to a millennial hierarchy. And it is an act of beheading, defacement, of annihilation. It's that first moment of caste annihilation. And then third, I think what it does is that it puts into play a kind of Dalit modernity, which says, who we who will we be <laughs> right outside of this traditional structure that has stigmatized and rendered us you know degraded despicable etc right so who are we without this so it is a radical opening also right we can make our own history now and um and i think that you know i i was told this story um growing up i remember reading about it and feeling really inspired but it also had such a personal connection to me because i remember talking to my grandfather you know and our family's from tamil nadu and he lived this life he he lived this life of you know the dalits of his village and he including himself didn't have access to water and I remember him telling me the story and what it was like to how far they had to go, how dirty the well it was, and that the people who actually built the first well for their, um, you know, Dalit Cheri were missionaries. And the excitement that people had was just the idea that they would have clean water. And then when they actually put the, you know, got the, full, the first, you know, part of the water to come out, the water was salty, so it was a bad well. 
and <laughs> he was devastated. But they built another well and eventually they got it. But it's just that, you know, these things that other communities take for granted were so precious to our people because we were denied for generations. And so the courage of the actions of taking this to the structural level um, cannot be understated because not only they, did they go after the desegregation of this water tank, it also came up with a rejection of all things that were Brahminical and um, connected to untouchability. So he also encouraged, you know, Dalit women, don't wear your saris like the way that they're telling you to, which meant that, you know, you didn't get to cover your breast or, you know, you had like um, some of your legs showing. Wear your saris the way dominant caste women did so and there was dominant caste women allies who like help people tie their saris and all of this you know and and you know covering your chest so that you aren't seen as a you know an object of that for sexual domination because i mean on the one hand it it ought to provide a context for common struggles yes uh and that these common struggles will involve complex negotiations yes uh, 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 drawing from a particular ideological framework, a modern political ideological framework of, of, of modernity, at the same time, there would also be complex negotiations, uh, which, we, which we have seen in empty number of times through, uh, yes, I mean, in, in cases of atrocities against Dalits, for example, in contemporary times. Uh, yes, I mean, water continues to be, for example, if you see in the places where, uh, yes, I mean, uh, a scarcity of water is observed in Maharashtra, where yes, I mean, water has to be brought uh, through uh, through yes, some privately funded uh, uh, tankers and other kind of spaces. Uh, yes, I mean, the claims to water continues to be a uh, claim that is denied, you see. So, uh, meaning any, yes, I mean, so many studies about how water in water scarce uh, yes, I mean, kind of locations, uh, how water is uh, accessed. Uh, yes, I mean, where you would find uh, that, uh, the, that, that, the, that the Dalits continue to be either the last recipients of the, the water resource in the scarcity of water today. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, so, so, so they continue to be the last recipients of so now this is very complex uh, context of modernity and democracy too. Uh, when water is scarce for everyone, that scarcity is, I mean, would lead to primacy of certain sections claim to that resource or, 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 or priority in terms of their claims only when those claims are, uh, those claims are fulfilled that the claims of the other, those who are at the margins, could be addressed. If those are not fulfilled, it could not be addressed. As you know, in fact, I mean, many atrocities in villages today continues to be around the question of water. It continues to be water as a, a resource where you, you assert your claims and you assert your rights. So, so, so water becomes a context for both assertion of claims and rights and at the same time also becomes the context for denial of these rights and claims and context for uh, context for uh, both I mean, some context for 
of context for assertion of your equal status coming from coming from modernity and denial of of your of your equal status in complex kind of framework where a democratic ethos is been translated so uh, i think uh, that complexity needs to be and needs to be taken into account yes um in it in addition to these you know associations clearly the bahishkritit karini sabha the mahar samaj seva sang and so on many of them will hold uh, the mahar samaj seva sang will have a vyakhyan mala so they have actually a series and it's very very interesting where it's it's like a uh, like a seminar series <laughs> basically and uh, and in the rb more in the memoirs of a dalit communist uh, book that we just put out uh, there's an appendix that actually carries a list of the kinds of talks that are being scheduled by the mahar samaj seva sang so it's very much an idea of creating a counter public right a complete you know parallel public if you will to what the caste hindus have produced so journalism and the word and performance and meetings and associations legal challenge all of these become part and parcel of you know this this new emergent kind of dalit public that is coming to the fore So in the Mahat case, right? So what happens, and I think what's quite interesting, and we should think about this, is that you know the Mahat case and the temple entry satyagrahas that are run by Ambedkar, that under the leadership of Ambedkar, they do something very, very interesting. Um, what they do is, of course, they 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 pose that legal challenge, and they make an argument that if this is indeed a public amenity, you know, why are Dalits uh, being prohibited from this space? and they begin to also challenge caste hindu notions in this period that are beginning to use and again that's why i say that you know colonial law is extremely interesting because on the one hand it has the notion of a broad public public access caste hindus reinterpret the idea of a public amenity to begin to make an argument that you know look the 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 tank the water tank the saudar tank or you know any of these public amenities in public spaces they're not actually quite public what are we going to do with the fact that these these tanks and uh, and public amenities are actually being managed and and paid for by ratepayers you know we pay assess right <laughs> so what happens very interestingly again to speak to the, the to the the cunning of the caste hindu mind if you will caste hindus begin to say look let's use arguments about public property uh, excuse me private property private property is exclusionary right it's about alienation and the right to ownership in complete so let's think about these as spaces that are spaces of of private property the temple is actually sorry guys you know the temple and the water tank attached to a temple this is not an, a public space in the way that you think about it this is not like a tea shop and a hotel ambedkar's argument is to say let's establish a broad notion of a public space where the the quote unquote religious sanctity of a temple or a water tank attached to a temple does not matter it is a public amenity period it is open to a broad public caste hindus say this is not that kind of a public right a hindu temple a water tank etc is a public trust that is held by a small group of public persons right who have the right to regulate inclusion and they have the right to exclude 
trespassers. So the language, so that's why I said that, you know, Mahan becomes a test case. Partly, of course, I think Ambedkar knows that it's going to be a test case and he uses it as such because the publicity around Mahad and what he does, both in terms of speaking to the to the community in making a very, very broad sort of a global argument for civic justice, political rights and equality, right? The burning of the Manusmriti, the public speeches that are uh, harkening back to the French Revolution, the notion of popular sovereignty and assembly, the right to assemble in order to demand your rights. This is the kind of language of public performance and political performance that's being used. But the other part of the Mahat Satyagraha is that it is a test case. And Ambedkar, the, the phenomenal legal mind, <laughs> is also challenging this interesting rereading of colonial law, for instance, by caste Hindus in this period, who kind of say, hey, listen, we can actually use arguments about private property, right? And we can euphemize those arguments about private property as a way to continue to maintain caste Hindu exclusion. You see what I'm saying to you? So what used to be a kind of ritual right to exclude now becomes seen as a kind of private property right to exclude. Right? Very, you know, and, 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 and this, is, this is the really interesting thing that I think the Mahard case also throws up in terms of that test case and legal challenge. That was Anupama Rao, the author of The Caste Question, on how the Mahat case was affecting social hierarchies even as it was under scrutiny in the courts. A test case is a legal action brought by or used by people and groups who want the law on an issue to be made clear. Ambedkar was enthusiastic about using the Mahat case as a way to set a precedent on the question of access to public resources and public spaces. So he sets up something called Institute for Civil Action um, in 1929. Um, it's supposed to use litigation to ensure public access for Dalits to temples and, and to public places. Um, but it becomes clear that, um, uh, that, that there are going to be like significant legal responses um, to this, and uh, particularly with temples. So the Bhuleshwar Temple case, there's an attempt to open up a, a GSP run uh, Bhuleshwar Temple and the tank. And uh, what happens there is um, the uh, priests of the temple basically end up going to the court saying that um, they had been sacked uh, by the public owners, uh, by the owners. And the fact that they were sacked shows that this is not a public temple. And uh, again, we see the kind of um, emphasis given to, uh, you know, you, you determine the temple as private based on who grants land, money, uh, and funds to uh, the temple. And because many of these funds um, uh, come from, um, um, uh, not just one family, but from a larger group, uh, the court holds that this is not a private property and it can be placed under, under receivership of the court. Um, so it, it seems that, you know, the fact that the temple can be taken to pub, be made into a public receivership is a progressive strategy. It's turning a private temple into a public one. But the, the fact that the temple becomes a kind of uh, public trust allows for the temple managers to say, we can't open up the temple to, to Dalit groups. This has to be taken, a decision taken by the higher, higher government, our hands are tied. So it sort of removes, it almost allows them to defer the possibility of immediate uh, response to Satyagraha um, and to litigation by sort of kicking it upwards. So there's a lot of kind of evasion that happens um, 
through this kind of civil liberties uh, project. And um, uh, Ambedkar sort of, you know, sees in some ways as a kind of mockery. So you can, uh, you can seemingly win in court, but allows, uh, 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 but, but in a way that would not allow you actual access. So uh, he uh, essentially says, we are going to move away from litigation and take on to direct action. And he threatens that they're going to be a, you know, a, a lack Dalits will lay down their lives if you do not get temple entry. He argues that you're hypocrites because you're expressing uh, sympathy for aspirations, but then saying our hands are tied by a high court judgment. So uh, there's, this is sort of met with a large amount of sort of protests uh, that Ambedkar leads across temples in Bombay. And again, finally, a kind of political uh, compromise that's brokered uh, because of street action. So I think it's also uh, clear by this time that uh, for Ambedkar, um, despite his early belief in litigation as a way to resolve uh, disputes, it becomes clear that litigation can only work in combination with um, sort of civic organizing and public demonstration. So it's, it, becomes, it becomes a way of either reinforcing or, or it works in tandem with other kinds of political arguments being brokered. And he is um, uh, uh, suspicious of, he becomes to be more suspicious of um, the litigation process that it writes because, for example, the tank case, it took about 10 years for the case to be decided and then access granted. And even then access was in fairly narrow terms. But in the Puleshwar Temple case, when there were protests, stuff happened within three years, right? So it, it becomes evident uh, in some ways that, you know, once a, a dispute becomes judicial, uh, the parties lose control over the issue. And it also removes the possibility of using other strategies because the matter is now subjudice. So despite like when the Chavdar case started, it was clear that Ambedkar was seeing this as a model for future litigation. The kind of overall experience um, makes him abandon the model as such. I mean, so one is that there isn't really an opening up of a lot of resources um, that are that, that are being turned to the public. Um, municipal government is is it's quite limited, um, and there's a constant idea that you can create uh, organized you know schools and education institutions that are maintained only for your group, which might still get recourse to some kind of government funds. Um, so the contestations that I've noticed have either been in this case around water tanks or on the use of roads. So uh, we see a range when these are often, uh, the challenges of the roads are usually often Hindu-Muslim disputes about the taking out of processions um, for Holi, for Eid, for various other events. Um, so the question is, um, um, you know, is there, a, is there a customary right to take out a Muharram procession that follows this particular um, trajectory? Uh, does a Hindu temple have a right to prevent something happening in front of the temple? Uh, do I have a right to sort of slaughter the cow that is my property in the public or do I have to do it in the private? And there's a, there's a score of litigation usually again starting at a kind of district court level that plays out in, in many of these states. And again, the kind of colonial state narrative is you want to reduce conflict between groups. So there's no consistency that they follow. It's a kind of managerial district magistrate approach as to how um, they, they would limit um, some of this participation. And what happened to R.B. Morey after December 1927? We learned at the beginning of this podcast that he came to be known as Comrade R.B. Morey and was a senior Indian communist leader by the time of his death in 1972. 
दोनों जो कॉन्फ्रेंस हुई ट्वेंटी मार्च को जो कॉन्फ्रेंस हुई और दिसंबर में कॉन्फ्रेंस दोनों के वो खुद चीफ ऑर्गेनाइजर थे क्योंकि वो खुद लोकल होने के वजह से उनके जो कॉन्टेक्ट्स है वहाँ के लोकल कॉन्टेक्ट्स बाकी सब ये उसका उनके लिए बहुत यूजफुल रहा और खुद भी एजुकेटेड थे उनके अंदर भी एक अस्मिता जिसको कहते हैं कि वो जागरूक हुई थी और मैंने जैसा कहा कि उनका चाइल्डहुड पीरियड से ही बाद में अमेरिका के आना जाना घर पर रहना रहता था तो उसका भी इन्फ्लुंस उनके ऊपर And through all of this, because of being a local of Bihar as well, R. B. Mori was among the chief organizers of both the conferences. He was educated. He was proud. And from the time he was a child, he had come under the influence of Ambedkar. Ambedkar too, especially after they worked together on Bhaskar Bharat, felt that he could rely on Mori. बहुत ही क्लोज एसोसिएट करके काम कर रहे थे मगर उसी फील्ड में उनका मुंबई में आना जाना तो उस वक्त उनका मुंबई के लेबल टेडर मूवमेंट से संबंध आ गया और एक ऐसा पीरियड था कि ट्वेंटी एट ट्वेंटी नाइन ट्वेंटी एट के अंदर मेरठ कॉन्स्पिरसी के अंदर बहुत से कम्युनिस्ट लीडर्स जो थे टेडर लीडर्स को अरेस्ट किया गया था तो उस पीरियड के अंदर उस वक्त यंग वर्कर्स लीग थी तो यंग वर्कर्स लीग के अंदर उसके फॉर्मेशन के अंदर भी अरवी मोरे का खुद का एक ये रहा वो उसके मेम्बर भी थे But after that, he became more connected with Mumbai's labor movements. Around the time of the Meerut conspiracy case in 1929, around which several communist and trade union leaders were arrested, there was an organization called the Young Workers League, with which R. B. Mori became quite active. He became more connected to Marxism. Between 1926 and 1931, the reports of the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh show that they were working on educating and raising awareness. Some of the lectures they organized were about the issue of women in India, the national movement, the labour movement, and about peasant movements. तो उनको लेबर मूवमेंट में बात करने के लिए बुलाया था एस वी देशपांडे का अरवी मोरे से जरा क्लोज संबंध आ गया और उसी पीरियड में चित्रे का भी क्योंकि चित्रे के थ्रू चित्रे ये भी उनसे सीनियर थे तो चित्रे और एस वी देशपांडे ये दोनों के कॉमरेड एस वी देश पांडे कम्युनिस्ट लीडर Between 1927 and 1930, there were several conferences across Mahar and the Konkan region. There were several conferences of the Untouchables and Farmers. Mori and Chitre had a role to play in organizing these conferences, and Ambedkar had a role to play in them as well. Leaving the issue of untouchability, he took up peasant, labor, and tribal issues. आवान, the challenge नाम से मराठी के अंदर विकली शुरू किया। उसका मोटो था, उसके अंदर उन्होंने लिखा था मोटो के अंदर कि newspaper for ये In 1930, Mori started a Marathi weekly by the name of Awan or the Challenge. Its motto was to be a newspaper for farmers, workers and untouchables. His identity was clear. He wanted to organize farmers, workers and untouchables. 
वो अगर पढ़ोगे तो उसके अंदर जो खुद मौर्य ने लिखा था जनरल उसके अंदर ऐसा लिखा गया है कि भले इस ऑर्गेनाइजेशन का नाम संघ का नाम महार यानी जाति के नाम से रहेगा महार मगर ये जाति को ऑर्गेनाइज करने के लिए संघ नहीं बनाया गया है तो ये जाति को डिस्ट्रॉय करने के लिए कास्ट एनालिसिस के लिए ये संघ बनाया गया है यानी इतनी क्लियर कट आइडेंटिटी उनकी उस वक्त ये 1926 की बात है तो 1926 27 के अंदर उनकी आइडियल जो आइडेंटिटी थी वो बहुत क्लियर थी कि हमको कास्ट ऑपरेशन के खिलाफ लड़ने का है हमको कास्ट के लिए ऑर्गेनाइजेशन नहीं बनाने की है तो फिर उन्होंने आह्वान जो शुरू किया वो भी अम्बेडकर को बोलकर उन्होंने शुरू किया था और वो आह्वान का पहला फर्स्ट इशू जब अम्बेडकर 1930 The Constitution of the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh clearly states that even though it is named after a caste its objective was not to organize this particular caste but destroy caste itself Seva Sangh ne initiative lekar us waqt अम्बेडकर का फेलिसिटेशन प्रोग्राम मुंबई में रखा था। After 1926 and 27, he had a clear identity. 1930 को, अम्बेडकर 4 अक्टूबर को 30 को गए। Two days before Ambedkar left for the first roundtable conference in London on October 2, 1930, R. B. Morey and the Mahar Samaj Seva Sangh organized a felicitation for him in Mumbai. There is a personal letter that Mori has written to Ambedkar about how he has worked really hard to organize this event without enough sleep or food. उसके लिए उन्होंने पहला इशू जो है आवान का चैलेंज का वो उस वक्त निकाला था ये अक्टूबर 30 की बात है तो उन्होंने अने एक तरफ बैशुष भारत जारी था मगर बैशुष भारत बंद हुआ था और बाद में जनता तो खुद का उन्होंने जनता नाम से सॉरी आवान नाम से एक बिकली निकाल he released a special edition of Awan during this event to felicitate Ambedkar. So he was connected to the labor movement, to the peasant movement, and to the movement against untouchability. आवान ये जो उनका ये था न्यूज़पेपर उसकी ओर से उन्होंने मुंबई के कुछ इलाके के अंदर मीटिंग दी थी और कालार मंदिर सत्याग्रह के अंदर पार्टिसिपेट होने के लिए लोगों को अपील किया था और इतना ही नहीं तो कम्युनिस्ट पार्टी का एक बैच when the Kalara Mandir Satyagraha happened in March 1930 for entry into the Kalara Mandir, he used Awan to appeal for wide participation from the public. He also arranged for a large number of Communist Party members to attend the Satyagraha at Nasik. R.B. Mori wanted to be part of a broader struggle with the Communist Party and Ambedkar encouraged him to do that. He was also able to raise caste issues within the Communist Party and the wider labor and trade union movements. ये जो पीरियड है उस पीरियड के अंदर उन्होंने उस उस पीरियड के अंदर नेशनल मूवमेंट भी चल रही थी तो उसी के अंदर भी वो उनका खुद का सहयोग था और रायगढ़ डिस्ट्रिक्ट बाद में उन्होंने यहाँ 
The national movement was also going on and R.P. Mure was active in that too. In Raigarh, he was a secretary of the Kolaba district peasant organization. Later, when Baba Sahib Ambedkar's connection with the peasant movement happened through the independent labor party, several people who joined him were associates of R.B. Mori from both Dalit and non-Dalit communities. Workers from trade unions and activists of the Communist Party would also help Ambedkar. Around 1930-1931, the British banned the 11th edition of Awan and banned R.B. Mori from entering Mumbai, Kolaba and Thane districts. And in 1936, when the All India Kisan Sabha was set up at a national level in Lucknow, R.B. Mori was present there as one of the two or three representatives from Maharashtra. This is how he was connected to the caste issue, the peasant struggle, and the class issues. R.B. Mori's life almost represents a bridge between the Marxist and the Ambedkarite politics of Maharashtra. Both Marxist politics and Ambedkarite politics both have now realized over the, uh, over the period of uh, long struggles that material and cultural are not necessarily separate realms of both engagement and locations of denial. Rather, what is material is also simultaneously cultural and what is cultural is also simultaneously material. They have to be seen as co-constitutive categories and have to be addressed as co-constitutive categories. That would happen both in terms of caste, it would also happen in terms of gender, for example. Where, 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 yes, I mean, uh, you, you, for example, I mean, a long time, Dr. Abedkar's very important work, Untouchability, Social, Economic and Political, where he is looking at untouchability, not merely in terms of social, arranged social relations, but social relations, uh, basically, realized through particular kind of material relations, okay, uh, yes, I mean, held together by particular kind of material relations and also it is simultaneously political where your voice is denied, your, 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 your assertion against that kind of denial is also denied. So, so, so he was at the time was looking at, uh, yes, I mean, uh, looking at, uh, looking at untouchability, which is simultaneously social, material, uh, and uh, uh, and also political. Uh, yes, I mean, Marxist politics for a long time, though did, though did, uh, though did uh, focus on 
the material uh, material exploitative uh, formations and material realities uh, of of uh, exploitative uh, nature but uh, i mean uh, i think yes, i mean uh, it has been realized both in practice uh, in practice and in theory uh, that material relations too are constituted constituted by cultural uh, is in cultural relations um, more so today when we started revisiting gamshi for example when we started uh, revisiting uh, uh, yes i mean revisiting critical theory for example uh, yes i mean uh, this kind of realization in terms of theory is already there of course yes and right from frankfurt school onwards where i mean the cultural material were not separate domains necessarily rather uh, is there was cultural construct construct of construction of material and material producing cultural both uh, i mean that seemed to be also seen as part of uh, the the contemporary social mobilization too uh, 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 so while the question appears to be material largely but it is it, it is it is realized through so social and cultural uh, frameworks now I, i think that kind of realization you do see uh, though there is i would say there is uh, there is need for uh, yes i mean need for uh, there is need for uh, need for uh, concerted efforts in moving beyond boundaries yes rb more's own life reflects the powerful ways in which the social experience of caste class and bombay city combined to produce the historical conditions of possibility for a specifically urban dalit modernity to take shape in early 20th century bombay wrote anupama rao in her introduction to memoirs of a dalit communist the many worlds of rb more which she edited published by leftward the book contains rb more's own autobiography and the biographical work of his son satyendra more which was translated from marathi by vandana sonalkar thank you for listening to the nagrik podcast my name is aju john and i hope that like me you have learned a bit about the political space from which the mahasatyagraha emerged and the organizational work of b r ambedkar and r b more through the bhishkrit hitkarni sabha the mahat samaj seva sangh and their several publications if you liked this episode please send it to a friend or a colleague or share it on social media that really is the best way for word about this podcast to get around nagrik podcasts are a part of nagrik open civic learning a project to radically reduce the cost of learning to participate in public life on www.nagriklearning.com you can learn for free from experts about advancing the rights of workers in supply chains from videos and other open educational resources as we conclude this episode of the mahat satyagraha ramesh kamble will speak about what it means for struggles to access public resources and tenmari saundararajan about its influence on her own journey through anti caste struggle two things that the the issue primarily results from a particular framework i guess i mean uh, Uh, yes, I mean, kind of a particular, uh, uh, yes, a particular uh, uh, yes, framework of a given society, but more than that, uh, 
it is normally seen as issue faced by that particular community which is on the margins. I am saying, so we articulate that question as question experienced by that community and the solution would be sought also in that community reclaiming it or succeeding in claiming it. Okay. But as I am saying, how does a problem becomes worthy? How is it that we, we articulate the problem worthy of collective action? Now, it is not seen as a problem that is, it is not seen as a general problem. It is not seen as a human problem, but it is seen as problem of a particular community. Now, that I find is very, very problematic. Had this been seen, for example, how do we articulate a problem or how do we articulate an issue? For example, in contemporary times, we talk about claims to water, claims to natural resources as universal claim. But this we speak in the context where people at large are experiencing denial from this, uh, from this basic rights. While then untouchables were also faced with this basic denial, but that did not become a universal problem. How is it that we articulate a universal problem? Do we articulate a, do we articulate a universal problem only when it is faced by a certain section of people or it is faced by a section of people whose social location to, to put this in other way, whether your social location in a given society decides the articulation of problem as a general problem, you see. In other words, whose problem becomes social problem? I was very inspired by Dr. Ambedkar's vision of thinking strategically about where to, to achieve targets, also to build like a coalition, um, as well as to empower Dalit people to lead on behalf of themselves. And, and I think that this is really like, you know, a very important point is that while we want strong intercaste coalitions, Dalit people need to lead the battles for caste abolition. This is a bias for us movement. And, um, and that in many ways, the pathway to caste abolition um, is really also lived by us living in movements that recenter caste oppressed people and explicitly Dalit people um, in order that we can start to live in a different way of being with each other across caste lines. So I was very inspired by that in terms of this moment. So today when people at large, a, a, a large number of people have been pushed outside the margins of claims of resources that you articulate that as a problem, okay? Whereas, when untouchables were faced with this problem, this was not articulated as a problem. So, untouchables were faced to articulate as their problem. It does not become a collective social problem, you see? Uh, and hence, I think, at this juncture, in fact, we also ought to recognize as to how a social, uh, how the, uh, the, uh, the, the rights of people at the margins 
are also simultaneously claims to yes, this universal rights and that they also have uh, both in fact an autonomous and an equal uh, equal equal basis to be articulated as a general problem uh, i would say now for example perhaps i mean when people at large are faced with denial of natural resources today uh, well there is this sense of poetic justice when we were denied water you did not realize that as a problem you see it is now that you are denied of basic resources such as water perhaps this is the context where you would realize as what is what does it mean to be denied of these basic goods which are so very necessary so in a way uh, we only hope that at least now people realize uh, what it means to be denied of basic rights you see it is always important that like we have to think of our tactics as multivalent you know so i think again one of the insightful um things about dr ambedkar is that he could be in the streets he could be a barrister he could be an economist and he could also write our constitution right and uh, and i think what was so clever about this campaign was that it had you know uh, a, a an agitation component to it it had a litigation component to it um and i think it also had a visionary component to it because they were using these targeted um uh marches to basically win wins in the state and also inspire other movements around the country and and i think that that's something that like i really take a lot of inspiration from because i what i've seen with cast apartheid is that it's it succeeds um because of the complicity of dominant caste people unwilling to confront um how their silence allows for such vile practices to continue um but also caste bias becomes entrenched caste policy um that really needs to be addressed in policy forums whether that's the courtroom or through parliamentary um interventions so i think that we cannot afford to leave any forum um untouched in terms of the ways that we bring agitations to caste abolition forward and i think to be savvy and use all of them at the same time is like one of the best lessons we can have from this um uh example well yes i mean culturally they seem to symbolize or continue to symbolize equal rights and equal claims that that we do meaning that was an assertion of equal claims and equal rights but that continues to be relevant even today uh, you see now that is unfortunate that it that it continues to become a problem even today uh yes i mean we 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 assume that is in those were struggles at the time and uh, yes i mean we should have really gotten over those those phases of struggle uh, now they they could have been context for a broader broader collective struggles collective struggles over resources you see but i mean instead of that this continues to be a dalit problem you see or it continues to be problem of the uh, yes i mean uh, a problem of the low caste uh, uh, now that uh, i think really bothers me i think we continue we need to uh, we 
Now this is continuing passage that the struggle for claims or, or a struggle for democratic claims and rights is both contextual and universal at the same time and that it has to be seen this way. It's only when you see it as universal struggles, even when you are raising it in specific context, it can be addressed both effectively and it can at the same time deepen the democratic ethos. So if our concern is to broaden democratic ethos, to realize democratic ethos, it is necessary to understand these struggles as, const as in a way taking the democratic struggle forward. That's the way I would look at it.